Welcome home, and thank you for joining us here on the Real Life Church Podcast. We are people of faith with the voice of hope who are known by love. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. I can tell you from experience that youth camp hangover is a real thing. I was telling uh, Pastor R.C., in his office a few minutes ago, I said, uh, I preached a youth camp last summer in Mississippi. It had been a long time since I'd preached one. I really enjoyed that. But I oversaw youth camps for about five years, and I don't miss that one bit. And uh, it's a real thing. And vacation hangover is kind of a real thing. And I don't, I don't smoke or chew, but I married a woman who do. No, I'm just kidding. I don't... Uh, <laughs> I don't drink or smoke or anything like that, but I've kind of got a little bit of vacation hangover because uh, if you vacation with my parents, that's kind of a cultural experience all in itself. As a matter of fact, we've got um, friends that have vacationed with us from Oklahoma, and they either fly or drive in every summer just to experience that cultural experience with my parents, and, uh, and I love them. We've had a good week this week. We've been at the beach, and... Um, my children are not here today, Reagan and Gabe. Uh, they drove back to Georgia yesterday. Uh, Reagan is, she's about to start her senior year of college, believe it or not. For those of you that know them, some I know there's a lot of new faces since I've been here, but for those of you that know Reagan and, and Gabe, Reagan is a, a senior at Emmanuel University. Yeah, the, it's not, not Emmanuel College anymore. It just became Emmanuel University last week. And, um, and Gabe's getting ready to start his freshman year of college uh, at Berry College, and uh, I've got a son that wants to study neuroscience. I had to look that up to see what it was, but I'm proud of him, and um, and he's also he's also going to be uh, running for Berry College. He's a runner, running cross country and track, and so we're excited for him. But both of them serve in a local church that we help with every Sunday, and so Reagan is. Uh, she plays the cajon on the worship team, and she's the children's pastor at the church. And so um, she and Gabe both went back. Gabe helps out with some of the media. Something about Gabe's and media, Gabe. And um, so they're serving in the little local church where we, we help out on Sundays. Uh, they're in the middle of cow pastures in Royston, Georgia. I just want to brag on what God's, God's doing there. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, uh, one of our conference bishops contacted me and, a, and another friend of mine and said, listen, we've got this little church that um, we're not going to be able to keep the doors open. Asked us to kind of go in and see if there was any reason to keep the doors open. So we've been there for two years, and I'm not kidding. There's nothing around it but cow pastures. The, the, uh, Tommy and Michelle, y'all have been there. I mean, their houses are like a half mile apart. Um, I mean, it's nothing but rural farmland. And the first Sunday I visited there, there was like, there were six people, and I was one of the six. And I was the youngest by like 20 years. And I'm not exaggerating. And right? I'm middle-aged, so you do the math. And, uh, I mean, in a town that has 2,000 people or so, a few thousand people, and, uh, you know, the Lord, we've, we haven't had a Sunday under like 60 people this year. And, you know, you would have to know that. I mean, this is like in the middle of nowhere. I mean, you would accidentally go by this church building um, if you were lost somewhere in rural northeast Georgia. And to see what God's doing there, it's just a blessing. I mean, it's just, it's something else. So I miss being there today, but, but this is our home church. And uh, how many of you are thankful for Pastor R.C. and Jenny Davenport? And we love you guys and so thankful that, that you are here. And I'm thankful for uh, your willingness to serve at camp this week. And uh, don't quit yet. You know, just get over the, the hangover, then seek the Lord and see what happens. But I love, I love you guys. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, if you're watching 
online today, uh, welcome, and we're glad that you're joining us. How many of you realize today that regardless of where we're at, where we are, where you are, where I am, in this relationship with, with God, we need, we need to hear His voice. We need the Word of God. That sounds cliche, but to, to really receive and act upon the Word of God, we've got to learn to discern His voice. Anybody ever thought you heard God speak, and then later, maybe weeks later, months later, years later, you think, you know what, I don't think that was the Lord. <laughs> we can be so convinced in the moment and then come to realize, you know what, <clears throat> I think I, I think I missed it. Can I, can I tell you something today, though? This, let me relieve some pressure. God's not trying to trick you. He's not playing games with you. Um, he, he loves you. Jesus told his disciples, preparing them for his own death, which they did not understand, which they did everything in their own power to keep him from going through with. And it, and it disappointed them. It disillusioned them. They, they ran away from him because they were so discouraged and disheartened, but they were so confused. And sometimes God is, is, is right here speaking, and it sounds so contrary to what we expect God to say that we reject or we resist the voice of God. I want to talk to you this morning. This is a Summer of Love series, right? I want to talk to us this morning about learning to love the voice of God. Learning to love the voice of God. So I want you to turn in your Bibles this to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to look at several passages of Scripture here. For those of you that uh, don't know me, my name is Jason, and... My wife and I had the opportunity and privilege to serve here for 13 years. 2003, we moved here. My daughter was, had just turned one. Now she's a senior in college. That's crazy. I was 27, and I was 40 when we passed the baton. And um, actually, I was 40 years old, but I was about 85. In the, <laughs> but we, it was... Uh, I mean this with all sincerity. Those of you that have been here and, and were here during that time, uh, you know our love for you, and we love you so much. Um, I love seeing new faces. I love seeing familiar faces. And if I start calling names, I'm going to just make somebody mad. And, you know, when you're not pastoring the church, you can make people mad and leave, and it doesn't really matter but I actually love you, and I don't want you to be mad at me, so I'm not going to call names, but I love you. And um, I even got a couple of kisses on the cheek. And around here, things are weird. Sometimes the guys will kiss you on the cheek, too. Whether you... I'm staying away from Wade, man. I can't even get near Wade. He kisses me on the... I'm like, every time I hug Wade, I have some wet, wet slobber on my cheek, man. <laughs> oh, Miss Robbie. When we come to Genesis 25, we come to the very heart of the book of Genesis. Right? Anybody know how many chapters? You can look right quickly. How many chapters does the book of Genesis have in it? Fifty, right? Of course, chapters and verses were added in the Middle Ages. So the, the scriptures were not written in chapters and verse. We, we need chapters and verse for reference points. Everybody with me? But we really do come to the meat of the story, the heart of the story. The first four pages of your Bible skips through who knows how many eons of time, right? Creation, the, the, the first humans, um, Cain and Abel, I want to come back to that in just a moment, Cain and Abel, the, the, these, these two brothers. Recreation stories after recreation stories, the story of the flood, the story of Babel. Are you following Genesis at the, the very beginning pages of Genesis? Again, I know it's chapters 1 through 11, but, but I mean, the, the writers just, just fly through that information. The writers aren't nearly as interested in the questions that you and I have when they, when, when they give us what we call Genesis 1 through 11. 
I mean, everything we know kind of about creation, you know, what God said, let there be, and, and, and the first humans, and the fall from grace, and, and the recreation story of Noah and, Noah, and God starting off over with Noah and his family, and then generation after generation being deprived, and, here, and, and then the story of the Tower of Babel, which is another kind of recreation story. Uh, all of that information is just flowing through. And when we think about Genesis, that's what most of us think about. If I said because I do this in classes with my students, right? What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about Genesis? What do you think people say? Garden. Creation, the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, right? I'm telling you, you can do it right now. If you've got a, if you've got a paper Bible with you, I, I promise you, chapters 1 through 11 is going to take up front and back about four pages in your Bible. And then the story comes to a snail's pace with Abram. Another recreation story. God calls this pagan, this, this idolater. God favors Abram and makes covenant with Abram. Most of you are at least somewhat familiar with the story. And the story slows to a snail's pace. And the passage that we're coming to now is Abram and Sarah's son Isaac, his descendants. And it's no mistake, as a matter of fact, just so you know, most of the books of the Bible, when you come to the, the, the middle portion, you've come to the heart of those texts. You've come really to what those texts are really all about. I mean, even if you're reading Paul's letters like Romans, come to Romans 8. You have found, if you will, the heart of what of what God is trying to communicate through the writer. The same is true if you're reading the Gospels, right? And Genesis is no exception. Genesis chapter 25, we've come to the heart of, of Genesis, and let's read just a, a snippet here, beginning with verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac. Another pause. This is how the book of Genesis is structured. For those of you that like systematic Bible study, Genesis is structured with sections that begin with this. These are the generations of. All throughout the book of Genesis. These are the generations of. That starts a new section in the book of Genesis. Notice this. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, and, and the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. <clears throat> and Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife. Why did he pray for his wife? Because she was barren. She was barren. The way these stories are told, yes, they happen this way, but the way they're told, we've seen this already before, haven't we, in Genesis. Who else was barren just before this? Abraham and Sarah, right? And we're going to see it again with the next generation, right? With Jacob and who? Rachel, right? So, these are the generations. Look at verse 22. Well, the beginning of, let's go back to 21. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Now, I want to pause right there and say something. Because sometimes I think we, we can confuse this. Just because God says something, just because God says something to her, doesn't mean that that's what God wanted to happen. Are you following? There are words that God speaks prophetically. 
And oftentimes he's speaking those things as a, as a warning, as a way to, to call things to order. And this will come to pass unless those things come under his order or line up with his will. But if they don't, this happens. That is, God never desires for people to be workers of evil. Are you with me? So it's important when we read this, this story to, to have these things in mind. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all of his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And after his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob, a heel grabber, a trickster, supplanter. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, so notice how the story immediately just skips time, right? When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was quiet, a quiet man. He dwelled in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. So his dad favored Isaac, but Rebekah favored Jacob. Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore his name was called what? Why is that important? Because when you're reading Scripture, and you read about the Edomites, you're reading about the descendants of who? Who came out of the same womb as whom? Right? What we have this tendency to do is we just skip over these things, right? And all of a sudden, we make what we want to out of the stories. Right? Jacob said, what does Jacob say to Esau? Most of us know the story. Sell me your birthright. Sell it to me now. Esau said, I'm about to die. He's starving to death. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and he rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now what we don't see written in the text, or at least in this portion of the text, is the blessing of the birthright to the firstborn son was part of God's order. It was part of God's word. It was part of God's way. For, for Esau to do what he did was actually disobeying the voice of God. Are you with me? And we're going to come back to these brothers in just a moment, but I want us to think about even that there's a way in which we can read Scripture to where we understand that there's, there's always something going on with, with, with brothers. I mean, the, the first story of the first humans, yes, we, we focus so much on, on, on Adam and Eve's partaking of, this, of the tree that God said, Do not, you are free to partake of everything. By the way, that's what God, that is God's word. You're, to, you're free to partake of all of this, but don't, don't do that. Because if you do that, that that's destruction. That, that's, that's not taking life. You're taking death by taking that. Right? But, but these first brothers in Scripture... The writer of Hebrews says, by faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. How did, how did he do it? By faith. That is, maybe we can make an assumption here, that's scary to do, but we, can, we don't know all of the details, but, but whatever Cain did and whatever Abel did when they made, when they were worshiping God, one was approaching by faith. They were trust taking God at his word. The other wasn't. One of the things we have to realize is that if we really are learning to love the voice of God, we won't settle with just living sacrificially. 
we'll live obediently. Because what happens when we choose to try to just live sacrificially, well, I, I do this for the Lord, and I do that for the Lord, and I give this, and I give that, and I serve with my time, but that may not be obedience. So one of the things I want us to think about, do I, am I really learning to love the voice of God? James K.A. Smith is a Pentecostal scholar. He wrote, he wrote a book a number of years ago. I read it. I don't know, maybe seven or eight years ago, it was very impactful in my own life, even though I have a hard time, li I believe a lot of what he said is true. It's not a truth I live out easily. But Smith says this, that, or the, the thesis of his book is that we, in fact, do what we love. We do what we really love. If we love something, we incarnate it. We live in it. We, we live it out. I love the Word of God. I love the voice of God. But, but am I incarnating the voice of God, the Word of God? Am I living it out? Not am I singing about it or preaching about it. Not am I coming to God with lift service, but am I giving God my life? Is my life being formed into the image of the Son? Is that what my life looks like? And so... We know these texts, you know, James writes to the church and says, don't just be hearers of the word, but what? James is saying, be incarnators of the word. The word became flesh so that you who are flesh can put on the word. Live it out. Walk it out. Be an actor. As a matter of fact, the word, uh, the, the word hearer, uh, be not just hearers, but doers, this is a Greek word that means comprehenders, literally to act upon, act upon the word. Don't just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. Jesus was having this discussion with his disciples. And his disciples came to him and said, why, why are you speaking to us in parables? In Matthew's gospel, it follows the, the parable of the sowers. Remember where Jesus talks about, he uses a, a fictitious story. He says a sower goes out to sow in the field, and he, he's throwing seed. He's got his seed satchel around him. He's slinging seed. Some falls on the beaten path. right? Some falls in the thorns and the thistles. Some, some falls on rocky ground. Some falls on good soil, like it lands where the sower hopes it lands. This is not a sermon on the parable of the sower, but... If you recall, Jesus explains to his disciples when they come to him and say, why, why are you talking to us in, in parables? You know, what do these things mean? And Jesus breaks it down to them, but he gets down and he, and he says, the seed that falls on good soil, the good soil are, are those who have ears to hear. And they, they obey. This is a passage where Jesus quotes from Isaiah. And he says, the reason I'm speaking in parables, he says this to his disciples, is because you all have ears to hear. You're the good soil. But as Isaiah said, Jesus said this, as Isaiah said, seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear. How many of you realize you can know Scripture up one side down the other and still not be discerning the voice of God? Now, you're not going to discern the voice of God if you don't know Scripture. Don't mishear me. Right? But learning to love the voice of God is something different than just knowing what the Bible says. God spoke through the prophets of old over and over again to priests and a priesthood who knew Scripture, they wore it on their foreheads, they wore it on their hands, they knew the Scriptures. And, but he says things like this, you, you, you draw near to me with your lips, but your, your heart's so far from me. You offer me these burnt offerings and these sacrifices, but I don't see you walking in humility, I don't see you doing justice. You're not, you're not, you're not being doers of the Word. How many of you say today, I want to learn to love the voice of God? I want to learn to love the voice of God. So I want us to look at another passage of Scripture here. 
Many of you will be familiar with this one. Let's go to Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is a very, very long passage of Scripture. We're not going to read it all. <clears throat> We're going to look at uh, several portions of it. But one of the things I want you to understand about Psalm 119 is that the psalmist is consumed by the Word of God. He's desperate for the Word of God. The psalmist is lamenting about needing to hear the voice of God. And we get to maybe one of the most familiar parts of Psalm 119, beginning with verse 105. The psalmist says this, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. I have suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth and teach me your laws. Do you see how the psalmist is longing for the voice of God? Longing for the voice of God. He's not just assuming he knows God's voice. He's longing to hear the word of the Lord. Can, can I pause and say this? Learning to love the voice of God means that we don't assume that we know God's voice. We have to start with this presupposition that I need to learn to hear the voice of God. We start with this assumption that I don't just automatically love what God has to say. As a matter of fact, my initial response is almost always, this can't be God. <laughs> look at what the psalmist says. Look at 109. Though I constantly take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare before me, but I have strayed from your, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. I won't take you there, but let me just read some more of Psalm 119. This is how it begins. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Verse 9, how can a young person stay on the path of purity? By living according to your word. I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Verse 19, I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. Verse 20, my soul is consuming, is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. Verse 32, I run in the path of your commands, for you have broadened my understanding. Verse 45, I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought out your precepts. Are you seeing this? The voice of God, the word of God, consumes the psalmist. I hadn't forgot about our two brothers, by the way. You know, you know the story, many of you do. But this point in Jacob and Esau's life this point of deception, and we know that Jacob's mother played into it. And, but what I want you to think about is how this story continues to surface. It's threaded throughout the rest of Scripture. I mean, you can't read the writers of the New Testament without them bringing up the story again and again. The writers of the gospel are thinking about this all the time. I mean, I, we don't have time to give examples. Think about one of the most familiar stories that, that many of us know in John's Gospel, chapter 4, the Good Samaritan. I mean, not the Good Samaritan, but the Samaritan woman, right? The Good Samaritan's also in Luke's Gospel about this same thing. The Samaritan woman. Remember, they're sitting at whose well? You know what the woman says? Our father, Jacob, says that worship is to take place here. But you Jews say that it's to take place in Jerusalem. Right? And if you know the history of Israel, right, Samaria was once the capital of northern Israel. 
This is where the temple was, right? So what you really do is you have these, these two religious groups that worship Yahweh, worship God. They, they both keep Torah, and they both believe they're the real children of God. We're still talking about the same story over and over again. Luke plays on this over and over in his gospel. The parable of Good Samaritan is an example of that. But what about, what about this? Jesus, I think it's Luke, is it 15 or Luke 10? Sorry, I don't have it there. But see the Luke chapter 10 or Luke chapter 15. There's these three parables that Luke talks about Jesus telling. Back to back. Remember? Luke writes and tells this story, and he says, there were tax collectors, and there were sinners, and there were Pharisees. These different groups of people. And Jesus is speaking to them, and he tells them a parable of a lost sheep. And there's a shepherd that leaves, how many? To go find the what? We love to just immediately personalize and individualize these parables, but that's not what they're about. What happens when the shepherd goes and retrieves the one sheep that had strayed from the fold, that had left the family of sheep? He calls the neighbor, and he says, Rejoice with me, for this one that always belonged to the fold has now returned. Immediately into the next parable. Jesus Luke writes and tells his audience, there's uh, Jesus telling this parable, there, is a, there was a, a woman who's turning up her house, turning it upside down. Why is she turning upside down? Because she's lost something. She's lost a coin. She's lost something that was part of the treasure. It was part of, it was, it was, it was part of the rest. And she flips the house upside down and she finds this coin. And what does she do when she finds it? She calls her neighbors and says, Rejoice with me because I have found this coin that was once always part of the treasure. And, and it was lost, but now it has been found. Rejoice with me. And then there were what? Two sons. Same story. The younger has taken an inheritance and left. Remember who this is writing this. Luke is a companion of Paul, right? What's Paul and Luke and his comrades constantly dealing with in the early church? The reception, the inception of the Gentiles, right, with the Jews. Are you with me? You following And when you read Luke's gospel with understanding that, you see these stories, the stories that, that Luke tells. To know what to do and not to do it is what? Learning to love the voice of God is learning to trust that I, I cannot move until I hear your voice. Your word is a lamp. It's a lamp to where I am. And it's a light to where I'm going. I may want to move I may want to shift. I may want to change. So let's talk about this. How do I know? How do I know if I'm learning to love the voice of God? Well, I'm going to ask us one question, and I'm preaching to myself. Everybody point at me. I give you permission, just point at me. Jason, how do you know? Point at me and talk to me. Jason, how do you know? Like, how do I know? Tell me. How do you know that you are learning to love the voice of God? I need you to ask me. 
Here's what I'm learning. I don't really love the voice of God unless I'm including him in all my decisions. I'm not desperate for his voice unless I'm not willing to move or step out or step in apart from knowing that God is speaking. I'm telling you, we can be, all of us can be so guilty of doing our thing and then asking God to bless it. And we may think that God's blessing it. And God is a God who blesses. God is a giver. God is good. But once again, that doesn't mean that we walk in an obedience. Learning to love the voice of God. Well, Jason, how, how do I discern the voice of God from my own feelings, my own thoughts? I thought you would never ask. Point at me and ask me, how do you know (laughs) that you're discerning the voice of God from your own feelings and thoughts? I don't know. (laughs) But here's what I'm learning. What I'm learning is I'm not going to live on my feelings unless I'm convinced that God has spoken. Because, man, my feelings will lead me over here in one second and be leading me over here the next second. And I think God just said that. Oh, no, God said this. No, God said that. And all of a sudden, man, what's wrong with God? I don't think the problem. (laughs) We laugh because we we can identify, right? We, We understand that this is, but can I say it again? God loves you. God's not playing tricks on us. And God's preparing you for something far beyond just this small snippet of time and space on this earth. On this side of eternity. God's growing us. He's maturing us. And and Jesus, when he told his disciples, my sheep know my voice, he knew good and well those knuckleheads didn't know what he meant. Every word that comes out of his mouth, they take it one way and he means something else. And we're the same way often. That's why some of us have to learn to stop taking ourselves more seriously than we take other people. Because part of our learning to love the voice of God is trusting God speaking through others. Well, Pastor, I I got the Holy Spirit in my life. So does the other 75% of the people you disagree with. So (laughs) we... How do I discern the voice of God from my own feelings or thought? Again, one point. We could do a series on this for the next year. But I want to make one point. And I don't mean this sarcastically at all. Is my initial response agreement? (laughs) Is my initial response, yes, God, (laughs) is my initial response, I thought you'd never ask me to do that, Lord. Here's your sign. I don't mean that sarcastically. The things God intends for you are so far beyond. His ways are so much higher than my ways, and His thoughts are so much higher than my thoughts. And he doesn't want you nor me to settle for anything less than what he has, not just for you and for me, but for others. And I can tell you today, you know it already, many of you, but obedience doesn't always feel good. I would rather just live sacrificially. Just attach God's name to the things I'm doing and saying, boy, God's called me to do this and God's called me to do that. And there are times to where walking in obedience for me has been like, yes, this is awesome. <laughs> There's other times where walking in obedience is like, God, I don't, maybe more times. When I'm walking in obedience, God, I don't think I can do this. You don't pick the wrong fella. I'm learning 
trying to learn, praying to learn, to love the voice of God. So I want to leave you with three words. Three four-letter words. (laughs) Three words that you'll often hear when it's God speaking. Will you trust my heart to receive these three words today? Three words that you'll often hear when it's God speaking. Write them down if you've got some way to to write them down. Jot them down. Some of you, I believe God's speaking. I wrestled with this message. But I feel like God's speaking to somebody today. Some of you. You've been listening for God's voice. You've been seeking God. God, speak. God, speak. Others of you, maybe you've been avoiding the voice of the Lord. You've, you you want to be around the things of God, but you don't want to hear God speak to you. You're fine celebrating what God's doing with somebody else, but, but God, let me be where I am. I'm, I'm comfortable. I'm okay. I love you, uh, but, but I'm not going to incarnate the word. <laughs> God loves you. Here's the first word. You can can be assured that it's the voice of God when you hear this word. Come. Come, let us reason together. Come unto me, all you, you who are weary and heaven laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Come. Come see where I live. Come see where I stay. Come. Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Peter says, come. Come. That's the Spirit's invitation for somebody today. So the Lord say, would you come? This is the first, this is the, if there's, if you want to put steps to it, the first step to you learning to love the voice of God, the first step for me learning to love the voice of God is to accept that invitation. Because Christ, I don't care if you've been serving God for five weeks or five days or 55 years, Jesus is still bidding you to come. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, when Christ bids you come, he bids you to come and die. Uh, There may not be a better example of disobedience in the Scripture than with Jonah. Can I tell you the second word, the second four-letter word that God is speaking? Obey. Obey. Have Have you realized, I've realized this, I don't like to admit it, but I've realized this. Um, I don't like anybody to tell me what I shall or shall not do. (laughs) Something rises up within us (laughs) when somebody says, you shall or you shall not. You know it and I know it. Adam and Eve knew it. We got to grow out of it. Because we can do what we just did a while ago. I surrender all. And not really be surrendering anything but what we want to give. What we want to sacrifice. Saul learned it the hard way. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But Lord, I, I brought back the king. I didn't tell you to bring back the king of Amalekites. I don't need you bringing back your trophies. I don't need you trying to prove to me or anyone else what you can do. But, but the bleeding of the sheep I hear in the background, I was going to sacrifice. I don't need your sacrifices. I need your 
obedience. And you see, we have such a hard, like when we hear the word obey, it just makes us mad. Like there's just something that we're that rebellious and don't realize it. We, you and I are that rebellious. And we can't surrender to God because we've never learned how to surrender to one another. Because learning to love the voice of God, and I don't mean abuse of spiritual authority and all that kind of mess. We've all seen it. I had somebody approach me one day and say, Pastor Jason, I said, I'm not your pastor. He said, what do you mean? I was like, well, you don't, I want to be your pastor, but I'm not your pastor. What do you mean you're not my pastor? It's like, you're not willing to walk the way that I say we should walk. And I'm not talking about walking differently than me. I'm saying, let's walk together. Let's do this thing together. I'm not your pastor. I wish I could be your pastor. I'm weeping. I want to be your pastor. But I'm not your pastor. If we're not careful, we can pretend that we're walking with Christ. I can pretend that I'm walking with Christ, but if my life is not being conformed into his image, if I'm not living with people and loving people and, and doing the works of Christ, then I'm a hearer, but not a perceiver, a comprehender, and doer of the word of God. Obey. Jonah, we know it. Hunter, you want to come help me in? Happy birthday to you and Glenda, by the way. Glenda's my favorite middle sister of my mom. She's my favorite aunt who is my mom's middle sister. Jonah's a prophet of Israel. And Jonah, boy, he's worshiping the Lord. I give myself away. You know, he's worshiping God. If you can use anything, Lord, you can use me. And God says, Jonah, I want you to go to your arch enemies. Because I don't want them to be destroyed. And Jonah went from singing, here I am to worship. I surrender all to singing meatloaf. I will do anything for love, but I, but I won't do that. Jonah finds himself crying out from the belly of a great fish. And God's gracious to Jonah. All the while, the mariners are up in the boat. These pagan, the Bible says they're idolaters. They're worshiping the God of Jonah. Jonah cries out to God from the belly of a fish. And God hears Jonah. And this great fish spits Jonah up and he he goes several days' journey into Nineveh. I can't imagine what he looked like. Talking about an illustrated sermon. There's no telling how disfigured he is. How broke down he is. We know his skin is just peeling off of him because the Lord causes a great vine. The God of Genesis, the Creator God, the God who says, let there be, and it is, causes a great vine to grow up around this prophet of God. To give him shade from the sun. The mercy of God. And then all of a sudden, the God of creation causes a big worm to eat up the plant that's providing him shade. And all of a sudden, there he is with this raw skin exposed again. And Jonah's crying out to God. This is the way the book of Jonah is. Jonah's crying out to God. And he says, this is why I didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because I knew that you are a God who is compassionate and merciful and slow to anger. 
forgiving the sins. I don't know what your imagination of God is, but would you let Jonah paint the right imagination for you? I don't know how you think about God, but would you listen to a disobedient prophet describe God rightly? Are you hearing what I'm saying? He's a worshiper as long as God doesn't call him to do something he doesn't have the heart to do. Because his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And he's calling you to know his ways. He's calling us to be conformed into the image of the Son. And John and God are reasoning together. It's not very reasonable with Jonah because Jonah ends his words with this I would have rather died than for you to save my enemies. And God responds to John, and this is how the book ends. He says, you didn't create the vine that just gave you shade, and you didn't create the worm that just ate it up. How much more concerned am I about 150,000 or 135,000 Ninevites and all of their livestock? End of the story. Let's not kid ourselves. We can be hearing the voice of God. God say something and we just assume that can't be God because I don't like the way it feels I don't like the way it sounds I can't do that I'm incapable I don't have the ability to go love my enemies and can you hear the voice of the spirit saying you do now what you were once powerless to do I'm the power within you to do it Some of you right now, you got people you've got to forgive. You know what the first step is, right? Obedience. Last word. Last word. Would you stand with me today? I don't know who this is for. I'm not regurgitating some message I've preached before today. The third four-letter word I want to mention to you is this, and this is a word to the Lord or from the Lord for somebody. You don't want to hear it. You've been looking for, listening for every other word but this. But I can tell you, more often than not, the word of the Lord is this: stay. Stay. S-T-A-Y. Stay. There are times that we have encounters with God and we have to go. It moves us. And that, that's not wasted time. But sometimes we assume that God is calling us to go because we don't want to have to deal with what's uncomfortable. We don't want to have to deal with the circumstances. We don't want to have to deal with the situations. Genesis chapter 32. Over 20 years have passed in the life of Jacob and Esau. Jacob has spent the majority of his life running from God, running from his brother out of fear tricking people it's been a miserable existence he's been reaping what he has sown but one day and he's had a couple of encounters with God at this point he's trying to make sense of what's going on this is what the Bible says Jacob went on his way and the angels of God met him and when Jacob saw them he said this is God's camp so he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. So think about this. A couple of decades have passed. 
Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother. He's not seen his brother in decades. The last time he saw his brother, his brother wanted to kill him. But God's been dealing with Jacob. As a matter of fact, the text we just read says Jacob was going along his way and, and all of a sudden he came in contact with the angels of God. When he came in contact with those angels of God, something began to shift in his heart and Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, instructing them, this is what you're to say to my Lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob, I've sojourned with Laban and I've stayed until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants, and female servants. I've sent to tell my Lord in order that I might find favor in your sight. We don't have time today to unpack this story. But here's what I'm getting at. Some of you in this room, God's brought you full circle. Some of you are here today because you didn't stay. But look where you are. There's no condemnation in that. Right? We're all trying to figure this thing out. We're all learning to love the voice of God. We all want to be obedient. Amen. How many of you say, I want to walk in obedience to the Lord? Will you let the power of God's Spirit obliterate the fear that you have right now? What if God makes my life uncomfortable? I bet you that's going to happen. I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see, see him face to face. Well done. A good and faithful servant. Listen, I don't know, many of you I don't know, but, but there might be somebody today that you're a Jacob that God's calling you to go back to Esau. Jacob was scared to death that his brother was going to kill him, but he came to the place where, you know what, I've got to be reconciled. If I die in the process, that's fine, but I'm not. I'm, I'm making things right, even if it costs me my life. Father, today, you know the true posture of our hearts. You know where each of us are. God, your word tells us that there is no condemnation to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And yet you tell us, God, that We've been freed from the law of sin and death. And that we're now under and freed for the law of Christ. at me this morning. Here's what the Lord's saying to us all. You ready? You're not going to like it. You shall not not love. You shall not not love. You shall sum up all of the law and the prophets right here. You shall love. You shall love. You shall love. Come on, raise your hands before the Lord. God, here I am right now.
Come on, tell him, come break down every wall. Every wall I've built up, God. God, give me the ears to discern your voice. Give me the, the, the heart to want to love the voice of God. Give me the courage not to be afraid to hear. Here's what I want us to do this morning. I'm going to invite your pastors to come and kind of end the service however they would want. But if you're in this place today and you just, you feel like you need someone to pray with you, you just want special prayer for some reason. I don't want you to leave without coming, coming forward. Maybe, maybe you're, you feel distance from God. Maybe you feel far from God today and you're like, you know what? I sense the Lord saying, come be obedient to his voice maybe you're in a place where you've got decisions that you have to make and you've been listening and you've been listening for God to say I release you you can go but you know this morning that God has been spoke has spoken to you and said no you are to stay you're to stay in that job you're to stay in that situation you're to stay in that circumstance we want to pray with you today Maybe some of you here and God's been dealing with you about, a, about obeying his voice in some way and you've struggled. You've been struggling to obey. And you know God's speaking to you today and trying to give you the courage to be obedient. Let's agree together. God wants to touch you today. Amen. Ask our prayer team to come at this time. I don't know if y'all feel what I feel, but I feel that. It's a sovereign grace to yield fully, deeply, completely. place I'd rather be than right here, right here in this moment with you. As our prayer team's coming, I just want to invite you guys, and if you need prayer for anything, like Jason said, man, we want to we be here for you. And for the rest of us, I want to pray a blessing over you as you go into this week. This is the, the first day of the week. And I pray, Father, thank you for the people who are here with us in this moment, hearing what we're hearing. And God, there's a, there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us that said, man, I ain't trying to hear that. <laughs> I'll do anything but that. Lord, we we surrender that part of us to Lord, I pray over every single person in this room today, God, that they would experience the embrace of Jesus and that they would, Lord, take that first step. As the first word was come, Lord, as we leave today, that we, we say yes to the adventure, wherever it leads, whatever it costs. We say yes to the ride. We say yes to the adventure. We say yes. Lord, there's people in this room who say, God, I don't even know what it is you're asking me, but my answer is yes. I'm going to go ahead and give you my, my yes before I even fully know what it means because I'll need help walking it out, and I'll need help, and I'll probably stumble along the way, but I say yes. And some of you, your yes is real. Your yes is, your yes is sincere. And some of you are here and you say, man, I, I want to be able to say yes. Lord, fix that part in me like Saul that kicks against. Because when Paul heard about Jesus, he kicked against him. When he heard about what God was doing, he kicked against him. 
Some of us even have that little picture in our mind of picking up our kids, kicking when we told them to do something. And they're like, Lord, fix the kick in me. Somebody right now needs to say, God, fix the kick in me. I don't want to kick against you. Lord, teach me to give a real yes. Lord, we ask you for the grace to live this thing out, to flesh it out, to incarnate the word. Lord, I bless my friends in here today, my brothers, my sisters, those who hear the word of God and keep it. Those who hear the word of God and do it. God, make us doers and not just hearers. Lord, I bless them today. In the name of Jesus. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you. Be gracious unto you. And give you his peace. May his peace that passes all understanding guard your heart and mind as we learn to say yes more deeply and more fully. I love you guys so much. If you need prayer, man, we're here for you this morning. God bless you. For more information, to give, or if you need prayer for anything, visit us online at reallifeministries.org. Shalom. Shalom.